So, the other day, this guy goes to worship, right? He walks in and, and he, he shows up at this, at this worship spot and, and he's there and he's doing his thing and it's, it's a little bit more crowded than it had been normally. Uh, they, people were still really excited about the resurrection and so, uh, so he goes and, and he's just doing his thing and he does, it, he does it every single week. He enters here and he worships with his brothers and all of a sudden as they're worshiping, they, they hear this loud boom, Right? Like this, this loud, explosive sound. But there, but there is no explosion, right? There's no destruction. They're looking around. Everyone's, what's going on? Did you hear what I just heard? No one knows what's happening. As they look around, they just hear this sound coming and emanating from one of the courts. And so these guys all kind of come together. And then they walk over to this court. And they walk in this room. Imagine you walk into the Orpheum. And what do they see? But what we just read in scripture, they see tongues of fire resting above all that were in the court. All these people, imagine you're just here and then you walk in, someone walks in and sees above all of us these tongues of fire descending on the people of God in the room. What do you think? You run away, right? (laughs) That's what I'm, like, if I walked in and there was fiery Gene Simmons tongues just floating over your heads, I am out of there. But God does something different in today's text. Because this moment is not just this random moment unexpected by those in attendance. See, this moment, although maybe they couldn't characterize exactly what it would look like, this moment was planned and expected and prayed for for thousands of years. The moment where God, the Holy Spirit, would indwell and be with his people forever. This was not a new thing for them. So as it comes, I think there was probably some freaking out a little bit, but also like, okay, this was supposed to happen. What I find so awesome is I truly believe that it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates Scripture, that motivates and changes our hearts, that conforms us to the image of God. And I am praying to him this morning that he would teach us about himself and what it meant for the Holy Spirit to come and be here in power. Now, this text that we'll look at today is often preached. It's a fairly popular text, Pentecost, right? It's pretty famous. It's out there. But I think it is understated the weight of this moment. I was talking to some of the guys that are preaching at this same kind of text uh, in other redemption congregations around the state. And they began to say, man, it was so interesting because even in our Easter sermons, even in our Easter sermons, we often just talk about the cross and not the resurrection, right? And I think when we come to texts like this, we still seem to talk a lot about the cross and not the fact that the Holy Spirit, God in the flesh, has come to indwell his people. This is the just absolute cataclysmic moment for the church to be empowered, to go fulfill the mission that it's been called to. Now, how many people have seen any of the Bond films? 007, anyone? Let's get some participation. Don't be shy. Okay. Now, if you've seen this film, or if you haven't, let me tell you, James Bond has this little pal. His name is Q, okay? Q in in the films is kind of this sprightly old fellow who designs gadgets and and weapons and and outfits the car to be like this destruction machine and the whole deal. I think, legitimately, we treat the Holy Spirit like Q. He's an addition to us. 
Like he's, okay, so we're, we're doing our thing, and I guess I'll take a bit of the Spirit too. Like, Spirit, what do you got for me today? Do you, have, do you have like a gift or a gadget or something that allow me to navigate this life, to allow me to be a better Christian, allow me to love my wife, love my husband, love my kids, allow me to uh, excel in my job, allow me to share the gospel with my coworkers, my classmates, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, Holy Spirit, what do you got for me, right? Just kind of this, this bonus supplemental thing that we just choose to, hey, I'll go visit Q, I'll go visit the Holy Spirit for a moment. This text does not allow for that. See, James Bond uses Q that he can fulfill his mission. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, turns this upside down and says, no, no, no. The Spirit uses you and I to fulfill his mission. Completely different. We don't dabble in the Spirit. If you are here and you're a Christian, the Spirit indwells you, lives inside you, and he is using you for his glory. You are not using him but we act like it. This text shows us what this moment meant for the early church. And this moment that we'll see today, the amount and impact that it has over the rest of the book of Acts is, cannot be explained. In other words, Acts does not happen. You and I are not here worshiping on a Sunday morning. We're not moving to flag high on the 12th. If the Holy Spirit does not come in power like he does on Pentecost. This is an incredible moment for the church. Now, the main reason I think that this text has lost its vitality within the church today is because I think the church has lost her purpose. I think the church, oftentimes, kind of just, we exist for ourselves. And I know I keep hammering this point. I even had someone come up to me and said, man, you are really getting after this whole mission thing. And I was like, that's because Jesus seemed to get after this mission thing. That this church thing was not formed. People did not come together to have a great 90-minute experience weekly. The people of God were formed and came together so they would bring about the gospel to the entire world. That was its purpose, and I think we've lost it. So the vitality of this text is lost because if mission is not paramount to us, if it isn't about engaging God, experience his power and presence in our lives, that we might go. If that's not true, this text isn't all that helpful for us. Just stay in your forgiveness. You need not come out of the water. Baptism is a perfect illustration for this. Because as you know, when we do baptisms, we, we get out the horse trough, we put it up front here, and what we do is we take you and we tell you, when we put you in the water, we're shaking off all that sin, right? And so we, we get you in there, and then the idea is that you come up out of the water and you go live your life. The reality is if we keep you in that water, it's not baptism, that's homicide, right? <laughs> like, if you're in there too long, you die, Right? I think oftentimes that is the state of our churches. It's the state of us individually. Daryl Bach, who at this point kind of in kind of greater theological culture is like the kind of the pen ultimate, the guy when it comes to the book of Acts. And he says this, he says, if the gospel is sold only as forgiveness, it gets what it pays for. Okay? And that is the gospel we've preached. We've preached the gospel that says, all right, guys, let's get you in the water and just stay there. Celebrate your forgiveness, enjoy the fact that you're cleansed, but you don't need to come up and experience new life because new life means it's time to get after it. 
Okay? And so we stay in because it seems easier. But here's what happens. You stay in the water too long, you die, right? And I think at some point, and in, listen, in seasons in my life, right, we are on life support. I've stayed in the water too long. I've sat in just forgiveness and not moved on to what is next, which is preaching the gospel to the world because that's what Christ came to do. Set the captives free. So yeah, I'm talking about mission because I, I, it's all over scripture that from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, it is a story of God coming back to win that which was lost. And then now we are part of it. And so as we begin to ask the questions of, like we asked last week, are we ready? Right? The early church, they're asking, hey, are we ready? Like, can we, Jesus just floated up to the sky and said, here's the great commission. Go bring the gospel to the world. Are we ready for that? And asking us, ourselves the same question. Part B to that question is, and how are we going to do this thing? Today, those two questions are answered in the coming of the Spirit of God to become the absolute necessity for how we do this well. It is truly the batteries for your life to operate and fulfill the Great Commission in light of what Christ has called us to. That's the importance of this text. It, it cannot be lost. And if it is, I think in fear, it's because we've lost a bit of what we're called to. So hopefully we capture both today as we jump into the text finally. And anyone got time? I don't really know what time it is. I know it's. I'm already late, probably. It's 11? I haven't even gotten into verse 1. Verse 1, we're moving quick. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, this is that crazy scene we talked about in the beginning, so we don't need to spend and belabor the moment too much. But God comes in his spirit, comes down, and begins to hover over the people, begins to rest and descend upon the people, and people run to come and see this. Now, again, this is not new. But as the people begin to watch this, or people come in, and you even have, so you have Luke here in the book of Acts explaining what he saw I, I don't know if it was literal tongues of fire. Like it, was, it was literally like that gene. I don't know if that was what was going on. My son, Finley, like he's two and a half. He cannot comprehend everything in this world. And so we're driving in the car the other day, and I hear him just say, polar bear in the sky. And I was like, that? <laughs> Probably not. So I say, Where? And he points to the sky, and sure enough, I, you know, I look up in the car, very safe, and it's, it's a cloud, right? So I say, you fool, okay? It, it's a cloud, okay? I don't say that. But he says, polar bear in the sky, because he doesn't know. And so listen, something happens in this room that is just inexplainable outside of God coming in power. Here's why we know that is the key here. Because throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over, you guys say, I'm not, I don't really make fun of him. Look at you guys. Just, <laughs> geez. Okay. Um, over and over and over in the Old Testament. Okay. When fire comes, it's talking about the glory and the presence of God. That when, when the fire would fill, so let, let's look at text. 2 Chronicles 7. As soon as Solomon, the former king in the Old Testament, right, of the people of Israel, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. 
and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is one of many texts throughout the Old Testament where fire comes, it is the glory and the power and the presence of God filling the space, okay? So I imagine that although the people that were there, the Jews that rushed in from the temple courts to see what was happening, the people that the Spirit fell upon, they, they kind of had some idea. As it starts to come down, the presence and the glory of God, they're probably thinking, you know what, that's 2 Chronicles 7. That, and, and just think, God is here. God is with us. This is not a new thing. This is a promised old thing that has finally arrived. Luke 24, 48 says, You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So the, the mission has been given. Listen, don't go quite yet because I got something coming for you. And it's me, and it's going to be in you, and it's going to be for you, and it's going to allow us to do this well. Matthew, Acts 1, 5 says, For John baptized with water, but you will now be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. You will be indwelt, immersed in the power of God over you that you can go and serve God. Fulfill his mission to the world. That is how important this moment is. Something old that God had been talking about for thousands of years, writing down in scriptures, given to prophets saying, this is coming. This is coming. Look for it. And it's finally here. What a moment for this early group of disciples. In fact, this is the moment where most people, theologians say, the church was truly born. That again, we talked about this last week, but all our ancestry, all our roots can be traced back to this moment where God births his church through the giving of his presence through the Holy Spirit in their lives that they would go and be a blessing to the world, a fulfillment of everything God had called his people to for centuries. Okay. This is a moment not just for them, but for us and continuing on in texts like Ezekiel 43, Haggai 2, which you guys know, of course, Isaiah 11, Ezekiel 37, these texts, Old Testament, I'm just going to summarize for brevity's sake. See, these are all prophecies from the Old Testament telling them that God would one day fully and completely restore his temple. These are texts in the Old Testament that prophesy that God will come in and will reunite Israel that was fractured and bring them back together for the sake of his glory to the nations. And so all of these texts, and there are countless prophecies of God doing this, are all fulfilled in this moment when the temple of God is fully restored in the hearts of man. So the temple is no longer this, this thing, this building. It is you. You house God. Crazy. No longer are the people fractured, but rather brought together that the people, the church, would serve him today and forever. See, this is an old thing that God has said for thousands of years. This is coming, so church, open up your eyes. And so I think the early church, as we now call them, they saw the fire come down, the presence of God. They thought of the old text, God, are you reuniting something here? Are you indwelling us? Are we the temple? All of this is coming to fulfillment so we can understand that every single promise of God will continue to do the same thing. And we'll talk about that as we wrap up here in a few minutes. Let's move on into verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. God bringing his temple or bringing his people, the church back together that they would serve him. And listen, this is showing so clearly that God was serious when he said, this thing is going global. See, so in Acts 1, 8, right, this is going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, right, that everyone needs to hear this message because all people are called into the family of God. And so in this incredible moment, when he descends, who runs to hear? The nations. God comes in power right? He comes, he's fulfilling prophecy, and who runs to come hear this good news? The nations come to gather to be reunited, and I'm not going to tell you what happens with all those who gather, because that'd be stepping on Anthony's toes for next week, but it's really good. It goes well for those who gather to hear and see the goodness and presence of God. Okay, so the church is formed, and it's global. And it pushes into diversity. And, and listen, I, I bring this up because this is going to be an intentional theme throughout the entire book of Acts. God and Jesus and the early church and the power of the Spirit are constantly going to be preaching reconciliation and unity. And their divides that they had in those days are not all too unsimilar from our own. And somehow the church, the church figured out a way to navigate it. They thought, hey, there's, there's division across all of these lines. And they figured out because of the gospel that it was a way for us not to just do this kind of pithy unity thing, but to go beyond that and move into love and sacrifice and care for every single person who thought, acted, and looked differently. This will be a big part of this text throughout the rest of the year. And so I intro it now in just a moment, just to show us God's, he's going global. And he's bringing all nations together that all at one day would bow before him and declare him Lord, okay? Whether they, uh, whether they want to or not, he is the king, okay? So we wrap up here in the last part of the text. <clears throat> Verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying one to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine, right? So there's, there's this crazy movement of God. People are drawn together by it. The world is watching. And they come up with two different ideas, okay? Two different responses to the movement of God. And I think it happens for us individually. I think it happens for the watching culture as they look at the work of the church today. And I think one is to say, those fools are drunk, right? Like, and for some of you, they, they're seeing it, so knock it off, okay? You know, you know I'm talking to you. Just kidding, I don't know. He got nervous, like nervous laughter. He's like, did he, did he see me? I'm an Uber driver. If I ever pick you up, it's going to get weird, right? Um, one response is, that's crazy, okay? 
One response is to see the movement of God and just say, ah, no, I don't, I don't want any of that. That's crazy. Let me come up with excuses of why I don't want to be part of that, right? So sure, the movement of God, that, that sometimes people are like, I, I don't want that. But there's this whole other crowd that go with the other option. That option is to say, what's going on there? What does this mean? What, what do you do? Who are you guys? What is... What does this mean? And I find this such a powerful text for us as we think of the launch of the early church, knowing that their mission is to bring the gospel to the world, that then the world should then come see the movement of God amidst the people of God and say, what's going on there? To step in, to inquire, and to learn and listen. And I just wonder, is that the response that the church often gets in our world? What's going on there? I'd like to know more. Not often. No. Never, never do we bend truth. We break truth. But this text seems to want to communicate to us to at least ask the question, church, what does it mean for you to live in such a way that the outside world would look at what we do here, what we do in our small groups, what we do where we work, what we do where we live? and say, what do, you, what do you got going on over there? Why the joy? Why the sacrifice? Why the service? Why the generosity? Why the love? Why the peacemaking? Why the pursuits? Why the care? On and on and on. They should look to you and I. They should look to us corporately as the church and say, what does that mean? And then we can come with a perfect answer about a perfect God who loves perfectly. And that answer will come next week. Peter is going to preach, honestly, it seems to be at least on, an, on a it really worked level, the best sermon ever. Okay. So come back next week and hear exactly what the answer is to that question. What does this mean? God, what are you doing? What's the answer here? But I want to challenge us to be a people who live in such a way that the world has to at least ask the question, what is going on over there? And how do I learn more? That they step in, they hear the gospel, and then good things are coming next week. Okay. This move to the flag high, I think it's an opportunity for us to be able to say to our city, both individually in the way that we walk this world out as disciples and corporately as a church, that we'd be able to have more people ask that question about the God and the hope and the trust that is in us because we exist for the other, because we are Christians, many Christs who live the life or try to live the life that he lived, which is one of pouring out, sacrifice, death, and love that the other might flourish. So our church, individually and corporately, we are called to do the same. This move will help us do that better. And I am so extremely excited to do it with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace this morning. Lord, Spirit, it's funny. I, I need you to take just the really fast stuff we just talked about. And I need you to make it just sit in our hearts and minds. That, God, we'd be convicted from the inside out that you would, as you tell us in Romans 12, Lord, that you would transform our hearts and that you would renew our minds, that we would feel and think and be different. 
because of your, your work in our hearts, Holy Spirit. Thank you, be in this place, be present. Might we know you, encounter you, and live for you. Because God, you have given us yourself that we even have a fighting chance at this. Thank you that you use us, we don't use you. That the world would know that there is a savior who gave his life for all and desires that all would be saved. Lord, would you save today? Would you save tomorrow? Would you save every day that we all have on this earth? God, in us and through us, God, we be your people. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.